Hello and good evening and welcome to another episode of Religions, Regimes and Refugees and the Multicultural Mess and Secular Scam. Thank you so much uh, for joining me today. Uh, I thank you for your presence. Um, I hope you're having a great uh, day and a great uh, week. Uh, this video is, this podcast is a rerun of the podcast on, on Mother Teresa. The audio was not very good so I decided to rework it and so thank you for coming back if you have. Uh, so today we're going to talk about Mother Teresa, okay? Um, the reason why I'm on it is because I saw a video on YouTube on breathing history, my friend. Yes, I've spoken about it before. Breathing history. It is a podcast. Sorry, it is a Facebook page and a YouTube channel. And uh, I, I would uh, suggest that uh, you go and take a look at it. Subscribe, uh, comment, share. It's a great channel. Does a lot of work, a lot of different points of view, many good interviews, and you can take a look at it for yourself. So it's called Breathing History. Take it down. And on that channel, I happened to come across an interview with Jerome Anto. Jerome Anto is an Indian Christian um, who was uh, absolutely he's a practicing Christian and also with the RSS, but. He is uh, a great guy. He, he talks frank and um, he, he's very, very frank. And he, he has the courage and the persona uh, to talk about the ills and the fault lines of Christianity and what we're doing wrong, which is very rare because people do not do that uh, for any group. And um, so I'm, I'm really grateful for his knowledge and his ability to have the conversation. I, don't, I never had the courage that he had growing up. And my hat's off to him, people like him who are standing up from the inside to, to change the mindset, change the, uh, change the, um, the fault lines and, and clean up the system because we've got problems. Christianity has got many problems uh, and the society has got problems. Um, so I was only doing research on Mother Trees. I had done in the past. And I had not just come upon the time to do a podcast on it. And when I saw this, I said, well, I'm going to do a little podcast. So here I am, and here is my research, and here is my opinion. Okay? So Mother Teresa is, a, uh, was, is a now a saint, and she was the person who started the Missionaries of Charity in India and all over the world. I actually met her once when I was in India. I was uh, at a... Um, mass, a Christian mass, a, a congregation of people who pray, uh, for those who don't know what a mass is. Um, so it was a Christian um, gathering and, and prayer service, and I was singing in the choir. And um, I was young back then, and she happened, Mother Teresa happened to be in the neighborhood, and she was invited um, to the function. She's a very short person, and I'm a little bit taller than her, so I never knew she was coming. And then finally, when I reached the, the, the you know, the, the, the area where we were having the function, someone told me she was coming. And she came, and oh my God, you don't think much about her because she's so short. Uh, and, and very frail. She was uh, very frail. Um, anyway, after singing, um, afterwards the end, uh, once the choir finished singing, or towards the end of the mass, as we call it, uh, she came up and shook hands to the choir with members of the choir. I'm telling you, it was surreal. My hands were shaking. She had some like this aura about her, this energy feeling. You could feel that energy feeling when you were around her. She was different, and and she really. Uh, and I was emotional. I have to tell you, I was emotional. I thought the world of her back then. I really didn't, you know, had any questions in my mind. I just believed what people said. 
And my hands were shaking. I got very emotional. I was very grateful that she came up to us to shake hands because it's very rare that people come up to shake hands with us. Um, anyway, she, she, off she went when she finished. Um, and um, then she came, uh, then we went home and, you know, then I moved uh, out west. Uh, and uh, yes, I'm telling you, it... Um, it's only when I came here over the years I heard Christopher Hitchens and all the stories, of, you know, with the internet. When I came here, the internet was uh, had just taken off, and I was, um, you know, so we, we really didn't talk. There was no chatter. Everything was closed. You, having an opinion was a crime, so we didn't really talk. It was during the internet that exploded. And, um, you know, we started listening to things, questioning uh uh, concepts and one of those concepts was Mother Teresa and when Christopher Hitchens came about um, I realized that there was a problem and I was I, I can't say I was stunned okay because I knew there were problems in the church uh, in Christian societies and, and I knew there was proselytization going on even in my church my friends yes even in my church and it bugged me a lot. And this, when I heard this, I knew what the problem was. I knew they were right, um, because this goes on in Christian societies. It's uh, it's 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 embarrassing. It's disgusting. It's embarrassing to the core. But it happens, and we have to talk about it. If we want to change the status quo, we need to call a spade a spade. And as an ex-Christian, I'm going to tell you about it. So um, Mother Teresa is actually from was born in 1910. Um, towards the end of the Ottoman Empire. Um, yeah, so she was born in what is today uh, Macedonia, Skopje, S-K-O-P-E, uh, uh, I don't know how you pronounce it, but it's, you can look it up, it's Macedonia. Um, and it was, uh, she, like I said, she was born towards the end of the, um, of the Ottoman Empire. So, when she was born, she was born into a Kosovo Albanian family, and her name is um, Angie, okay, uh, the the Slavic name for Angie, and Gongshe, Gongshe, I can't pronounce it. I apologize. I'm sure I messed it up. Gongshe, uh, meaning rosebud, a little flower in Albanian. Um, now we know that in 1910. Uh, we were on the cusp of the, of the First World War, so she was born right into the First World War. Um, and um, after that, the Ottoman Empire committed a genocide of 1.5 million Armenian Christians. We know that, and this was in 1915, uh, a little before and after, it went on for a while. So she was born in trauma. She was born in trauma, seeing Christians around here being butchered, being massacred, uh, being uh, chased away from their homelands. Um, and yes, uh, exactly the same. Um, this is, 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 uh, this is uh, what she, she grew up in. This is what influenced her completely. Now, um, she was the youngest child of... Of two Albanian Christian, Kosovo Albanian Christians, in, in Ottoman Macedonia, um, 
Her father died young when she was eight years old. Uh, he was born in Kosovo. Uh, however, his family comes from Albania, modern-day uh, Albania. And her mother have, may have been from a village nearby. Um, so she was fascinated. In this trauma, there were people looking after the sick, looking after the needy, a lot of uh, you know, people helping out, and she was fascinated by the stories and and the, and also the mis- stories of uh, missionaries and Christian missionaries in India and in Bengal. Remember, India was under British rule during this time, and by the age of twelve, she was convinced that she would commit her life to service because when you grow up in trauma, the only thing you know to cure the pain is to give back to these people who cannot help themselves. That is the only way you can hide your guilt or uh, cure your guilt, cure the trauma because it is massive when you go through trauma and you see this in this. And children go to this guilt of survivor's guilt, like, you know, um, how I die, survive. Maybe it's me, maybe it's my fault. We always take the blame on ourselves and this is all children. So by the age of 12, she would have uh, convinced herself that she would commit herself to um, religious life, or should I say service. Um, so she left home in 1928 to join the Sisters of Loretto um, at the Loretto Abbey in Ireland to learn English because you needed that to learn to be a missionary. Um, English was the language of, the, um, of instruction of the Sisters of Loretto in India. Uh, so after she left for India, she saw neither her mother nor her sister again. Never. Okay. Her family lived uh, in in Scope uh, in Skopje until 1934, when they moved to Tirana, and she arrived in India in 1929, and became uh, and and moved to, and stayed in Darjeeling in the Lower Himalayas, where she learned Bengali and and taught at the Saint Teresa School near her convent. So she took up her first religious vows in 1931. Now, in Christianity, if you want to become an Orthodox uh, clergy, you have to go through vows, and you have to go through period of formation or, or, or learning. And that's about 9 to 12 years, depending on the denomination, depending on where you come from. And uh, you start with a vow, and you end with religious vows according along the way. So her first vow was in 1931, and she chose the name Therese de Lisier, in um after she did that well now lisia is a french name therese also therese de lisia which is the patron saint of missionaries uh because a nun in the convent had already chosen that name she had to change the spelling to teresa which is an anglicized version of therese so she became uh, mother teresa uh, so she took her solemn vows, the final vows, in 1937, that's about six years after her first vow, uh, and she became a teacher at the Loretta Convent School in, in Calcutta, in Antali, uh, taking up the style of mother, uh, which was a custom of that time, or even today we call in, in, uh, in, in India, we call a nun, sister, didi, my, tai, um, my is very common, and um, so, yes, we, we attach the word mother to uh, um, a nun or a religious person serving uh, during service. She uh, served there for 20 years and, and was appointed headmistress in 1944. Although Mother Teresa enjoyed teaching at school, she was incre- incre- increasingly disturbed by the poverty in Calcutta. Now, you have to remember, in 1943, we had the Bengal family. 
famine, which was a, a catastrophe of uh, epic proportions. Um, a catastrophe epic proportions about 10 million i think if i'm not mistaken people died it was um you had uh, what's his name um the prime minister of you had the prime minister of the united kingdom and i i completely lost his name right now um yeah so absolute so then it was between the nawab of bengal uh who who mishandled the um mishandle the famine and supplies to poor people, to people, the locals on the ground, and the Prime Minister um, of the United Kingdom in, 1940, in 1943, who refused to, um, who refused to give food to the locals uh, on the ground uh, because he really didn't care for them. Um, so, the, the people... Um, so at this point, because there was a tug of war between the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, who was controlling the Indian subcontinent, and uh, the Nawab of Bengal, um, who refused to really provide any type, both of them, any type of food or services or divert, uh, divert grain to the um, locals on the, la on the ground, we lost 10 million people. And I'm trying to find the name of the Prime Minister, and I just cannot get it. Um, hold on here, I almost there, Winston Churchill, how can I forget his name? Goodness gracious me, I'm losing it. So Winston Churchill, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, who, who uh, was responsible for 10 million deaths along with the Nawab of Bengal and the mismanagement of the Bengal famine. So she came at this time, she was there during this time, so she's seeing poverty, she's seeing, uh, she's seeing all of the above. And she goes through the um, this era. She also goes to the 1946 Direct Action Day. So Direct Action Day, we know when uh, Jinha, uh, no thanks to him, unleashed a civil war or genocide where thousands of people were absolutely butchered in Bengal. Um, and of course, everything was blamed on the Hindus. Uh, it brought misery and death to the city. And... At this point, she now says enough is enough. She dedicates her life to serving the poor in, in India. For her, all the pro all the problems is, you know, Hindus, Hindus, Hindus. They're poor, they're weak, they're, they're, uh, they're ignorant, they're, you know. So she, she decides to give her life to the poor. Now, she doesn't know the history of India at this point. She doesn't know anything. She doesn't know what the Brits have done. She's not even English speaking. She just manages at this point. And um, very, very, uh, you know, she would have been sincere at this point. Look, she, when you don't know something, you want to help everyone. It's your natural uh, behavior, natural reflex to help. And, and she really helped out at that point of time. Now, you have to understand, born in 1910 up till 1946, only thing she knows is trauma. Nothing else. She knows trauma, trauma, and trauma. So she starts with uh, the First World War. She goes into the Armenian genocide by the Ottomans. Uh, then she goes into 
1943 famine, 1946 direct action day in Begal. She also hears about the Second World War. She is a European, so she would have kept in touch. She would have known what was going on. It would have affected her tremendously. So she's only at this point 36 years old, and she's seen more trauma in, in her short life than anyone will ever see of that time. And she is um, a, an image of a, of a generation who was absolutely traumatized um, by all the events around them and which they had to to absorb. And that was would have been really, really very, very difficult for them at that time. Uh, whoever's involved, whoever's responsible, the, the civilians took the brunt of it, and the civilians then uh, went on, you know, had to, to make peace with themselves. There's no mental health, mental this, mental that, uh, that we have today. Um, and, and, and they had to absorb the shock. So she came from this generation, and... and by all means, I feel sorry for her. I, I, I hope that she's at peace right now. I have nothing against her personally. Uh, and, and, and she's seen more than her share of anything. And, and I say to her, sorry for the past, that you had to go to this and your generation had to go to this. I hope you're in peace and I hope that uh, you can heal and, and come back for a better life. Um, having said all of that, this is where the problem starts. Okay? Um... You, you, you have to understand this context. So this is her context. Now we have to understand the context on the ground. Because this is exactly the junction where everything goes haywire. So, till 1947, Christianity has controlled the subcontinent. When I say Christianity, I'm talking of the church, the establishment, the ecosystem on the ground. Through the British, Christianity rules the subcontinent or parts of it in conjunction with others for 200 years. Um, they have, the Anglicans have control, they also have Catholic churches in places. The Catholics have complete control in Goa, in, in, in Portuguese Goa. Um, they also have control in Pondicherry on the west coast, uh, on the east coast. So Christianity basically has totalitarian political power here. Now they have ideological power. They have financial power because they would have minted a lot of money. They also have um, power, uh, a territorial power, because all the land is in their name. And it belongs to the crown. It belongs to the... the, the, the to, it belongs to... Uh, Portugal, it belongs to France. It doesn't belong to India anymore. It just doesn't belong to India. It doesn't belong to Hindus anymore because they have colonized it. So um, they have totalitarian power. They have lots of land. They have. That's why you see churches. They have big, big compounds, big gymkhanas, big uh, playing fields. You go to any. You go to any local school in India. Um, and a school uh, made after 1947, they don't have much land. They don't have much land for children to play. Uh, but you go to a church, you go to a Christian school, and they have land galore. They have a 400-meter track. They have a 200-meter track. They have playing field. They have a, a front yard, a quadrangle. They have all this land because they were established during the time when land was plenty and people were less. And... Uh, yeah, absolutely, they had power. They could take whatever land they did. They could sign it in their name and say, now it's ours. So you understand what I'm talking about. So they had complete control. All of a sudden, after 1947, they start losing control. 
From 1947 to 1961, in the span of 14 years, they've lost complete control of the Indian subcontinent politically. And now they are in, in, on the bout of losing it uh, territorially. Territorially, financially, uh, ideologically, it's going haywire for them. Their power has been completely eroded. Do you think they are liking it? No, they have to change and they have to rebrand themselves to keep their ecosystem on the ground because the ecosystem is not there. It's still there. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. The people on the ground are still weak. They are still poor. So they don't know what's going on. Maybe the polit politics of the time uh, was in the hands of, of Nehru, the Gandhi family, but the ecosystem on the ground was theirs and the people were poor. So they could still manipulate the people. They could still manipulate their, their minds. They could still run their colonial empire through the back door as long as they allied with the new government on the top. Okay. Um, and we know um, that they completely destroyed the Indian Gurukul system along with the Muslims who were in power from 711 AD in part slowly up to uh, 1707 and beyond. And the Islamic ecosystem is still on the ground. Every single, uh, every single temple uh, was a, a school, a local school, where they taught, uh, they taught the local villagers, they made sure the local villagers had knowledge, even the Shudras at that point, the poor people were more into schools than the, um, the schools, than uh, the Brahmins. There were more Shudras in school than Brahmins. So the Gurukul system was working very well. And how do you destroy a society? You destroy its education. The moment you destroy its education, you destroy your society because a society without education is not a society at all. So the Muslims de de destroyed the Islamic invasion and destroyed the Gurukul system in part. Uh, their mosque, every mosque you see that was built before 1947 was actually a temple, most of it. There were temples and these temples were then colonized, taken over by the Islamic empires and made into a uh, mosque. Uh, just like you have the uh, Gyanwapi mosque. And these, these temples, these mosques, the Gurukul system was made into madrasas. So you see all these old madrasas, they were actually schools, the Gurukuls at one time. So in combination with the Islamic invasion and occupation, then you had the Christian invasion and occupation. They completely destroyed what was left of the Gurukul system. And I guarantee you, my friend, uh, when your system is uh, destroyed, everything else is destroyed too. So um, that, that is uh, important to know. And because of that, we became a poor country. We became completely, completely poor. Um, and now they're all crying, oh, we're looking after India's poor. Well, give back our money. Tell the truth that you destroyed our education system. You took it over. You rebranded it as your uh, arrogance and your insolence. Uh, but they will not say that they came, they came for salvation, to give India salvation. That's why they destroyed the ecosystem. Uh, that's why they destroyed the school system, which was much more, uh, much more advanced than their own. There, there is no Abrahamic empire that had even half the amount of education and knowledge that the Vedic system had. They, they, they don't even come close. So why did they destroy someone's education system? because they can take it over for their own. So Christianity at this point doesn't, uh, is losing power. Uh, they still have the ecosystem on the ground. 
So now they, they go from oppressors, they have to be angelic people, they can't be seen as oppressors, as colonizers anymore. So they have to rebrand their image and they have to tag along and ally with people on the ground. Okay, uh, so um, so they, they were so this is what they did. They allied with Mother Teresa. Okay, Mother Teresa was at that point wanting to um, to. She had just started in the 1950s. Her missionaries of charity, her own uh, denomination of of uh, of schools and uh, um, charities, should I say? Uh, she needed money. She needed funding. She needed land. She needed lots of land. So um, once you need money, you need land. You know the church, the establishment and the ecosystem of the church has the money, has the land. You're definitely going to ally with them. So you scratch my back, I scratch your back, and everything is nice and dandy. Um, so at the same time, the ecosystem, the, the Christian ecosystem on the ground is looking for an alliance with the government. Now, we know that the uh, Indian government led by Nehru and his Marxist um, were, although they had pretended that uh, India has got independence, India has got this, India has got that, and they fought for independence. Behind the scenes, Nehru was having affairs with uh, uh, British women, especially one woman, um, in particular that we are talking about here, Madam uh, Lady Louis Mountbatten, uh, Edwina Mountbatten, should I say, the wife of Lady, last uh, Viceroy of India, uh, Louis Mountbatten. So, yes, effectively, um, he was having an affair with her. We know that when she died in 1960, uh, she was surrounded by letters from Nehru in her Singapore hotel room, uh, which is... Which was um, a, a very important um, point to show that look, they were having an affair with each other. Of course, it's not official; it's unofficial; it's alleged. Uh, but when you when you die with letters of Nehru around you, the Indian Prime Minister, and you're married to uh, the Prince Prince of uh, Prince of Prince Edinburgh, uh, uh, Prince. The Queen's, the Queen's husband's uncle, uh, you don't do these things, okay? So we know that she was having an affair. And through them, she would have been a mole for uh, the British Empire in India. Uh, they needed to keep um, contacts with the British, with the, uh, with the Indians on the ground, so that they, keep, so that they could keep uh, a hand on the Indian subcontinent and their interest in, in the Indian Ocean. They could have... They could hold on to uh, their interest in the Indian Ocean, and they could also uh, hold on to uh, their ecosystem on the ground. We know there were a lot of Anglican churches, there were not a lot of uh, Catholic churches, and for the, e Indian, the ecosystem on the ground to keep uh, on keep um, colonizing through the back door to proselytization and thereby slowly convert the Indian population into their interest, to support their uh, interest, uh, they would have used Lady Edwina uh, Mountbatten as a mole and made sure that they were the architects behind the scenes of the Indian constitution where uh, their ecosystem was given the right under the constitution to continue proselytizing and to continue converting people uh, to their colonial lies and arrogance. Um, and yes, so they would have had, um, they managed to 
change or um, architect um, arranged Indian constitution uh, with influence on Nehru, who was a real architect besides Ambedkar, um, changed the Indian constitution to suit their interest. So they had contacts with the Indian government, um, make sure the ecosystem ran on the ground through their priests and their uh, Christian churches. Um, and at the same time, if those churches then allied with Mother Teresa and the Mission of Charities, look, they're all scratching each other's back. They were the Holy Trinity, and they were on a mission to sub subjugate uh, the Indian subcontinent, continue their colonization of our minds through their secular ideas. Now, uh, as Nehru, um, one Nehru and his daughter wanted uh, to show themselves, to portray themselves as the as the real. Um, real uh, e equal egalitarians, the people who uh, were not seen as, who, who were seen as equal and not cast, um, not dullit, not untouchables, because the British and the Europeans sold India to the world and Nehru allowed them to sell India to the world as India, as Hindus were cast, Hindu, Hindus were um, uh, snake charmers, people with elephants, Hindus were um, Hindus were Dalits, Hindus were poor, Hindus were poor, 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 poor. They had were idolaters, uh, they had many gods, they were politists, they didn't know, they were backward people, they had no culture, they had nothing by the backside, they were colonizing us, they were converting us, they, were, they stole our gold, they stole our, 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 our heritage. And this, all the Europeans, the same thing, okay? Now, I'm not trying to make you angrier, but I'm just giving you the context of the situation that's going on, okay? It is the past. We can't change it. We can change the future. But if you don't know the past, you will not know the future and where you're going. So this is the context of the situation. Nehru allowed the Europeans to sell India um, as... Um, as people who were starving, people who uh, were enslaved by by pundits and by Brahmins, and the Brahmins are bad, and the pundits are bad, and the education is is horrendous, is full of uh, um, full of deities and ignorance and snake charmers, and they were the big saviors, the bad idolaters of India. Um, and this is what they were sold, selling India for. On the other side, they were using that as a reason to colonize and continue proselytizing on the Indian subcontinent. And they used Mother Teresa for it. So she got used by them, lock, stock, and barrel. Not only she got used by them, um, she needed their money. So she had to keep quiet. She had to keep absolutely quiet. She didn't have a chance. Uh, if she wanted money, she wanted patronage of the Indian government, uh, who wanted to portray themselves as secular, uh, egalitarian, because the, um, the Abrahamic religions are the true religions of God, they are the most egalitarian religions, and everyone else is big and bad, and they are backward people. This is exactly what they're trying to show. Um, so, now Mother Teresa needs their money, the church needs her image of uh, charity uh, needs to rebrand their image from pros uh, from uh, colonizers to angelic angels, and the British and the Europeans need a mole on the Indian subcontinent to work to continue working to the back door to continue their hold their colonial hangover 
on our mind so that they can keep controlling us to the back door and, and handcuff us with this sati and caste, which is not ours, uh, dalit, which is a Hebrew, uh, lying that we got thousands of gods when we don't have thousands of gods, uh, lying to their nose about what India is while they pretend that they're the saviors of the world. Um, this went completely haywire. So she had to keep quiet on what the church was doing. She had to keep quiet on the pedophilia. She had to keep quiet on, on a lot of things that happened behind the, behind the scenes. She had to support Mother Teresa. Um, sorry, she had to, Mother Teresa had to support Indira Gandhi during the emergency, which we know she did. And you say, but why would you enter politics? It's not your line of work. Your line is charity. Your line is, is helping the poor. What does politics got to do with it? So, uh, unfortunately, it is what it is. Uh, she did that. Um, so she, 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 she was in the hands of the politicians. She was in the hands of, uh, of the church establishment. And they used her as a brand ambassador uh, for their secularism and for his daughter's secularism and to show uh, the egalitarianism and, uh, of the church and, and the small non-minorities that they are rebranded as minorities to camouflage their crimes upon humanity. Uh, and in return, she got tons of money. Money, 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 money. Nehru just had to say that he was taking care of the poor by, against the big bad Hindus who he had termed as, you know, uh, poverty, poverty, he sold us for caste. And, and, uh, and guess what? Uh, we lost. We lost that 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 battle we completely lost we fell into we we believed them we let our psychics believe them we did not challenge it we did not say anything because we were so weak by that by that time that we absorbed it and and sunk even further into the earth and and really believed that this was who we are without without any conversation whatsoever um so overnight she became a big ambassador um and here we go um, now, this is also a time where the, 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 the Muslims in Pakistan blamed the, the partition on the Hindus. The Hindus were so bad. The Hindus are communal. The Hindus are always seen as communal. Uh, you had, you also had the, the genocide in West Bengal, sorry, in East Bengal, in Bangladesh. Uh, East Pakistan, they had a complete genocide. This is another trauma that they went through, um, and and she's really she's got all the material in the world right now and all the reason to go ahead and look after these people and all the refugees that came through, and so she's getting money, 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 money uh, galore. Uh, so this is what happened, and and. Unfortunately, she then became a brand ambassador for a very bad organization. She got her name tainted, and she had to keep quiet on all what was going on until uh, 1997, where she passed away in the same week as Princess Diana, my friend. Uh, I remember the two of them passing away together one week after each other, and I was actually stunned. I mean, here you had Diana, who she was so young. And then you had uh, Mother Teresa, who we knew she was sick, but at the same time, uh, you know, um, it was rough. 
Um, she became a saint not bad afterwards, but then came all the sticky stuff for Christopher Hitchens and his many articles that he wrote on the Sisters of Charity, the anti-national activities of the church. Uh, then they started uh, the end the problems with the NGOs started coming out and how the NGOs were bad and the NGOs what they were doing. They were collecting money for proselytization. Uh, they also came about abuse of children in these uh, orphanages. Um, and no one said a thing. The moment someone said everything, everyone said, oh, communalism, communalism. They used the communal card to stop any type of introspection into their activities, into their abuse, into their activities. And they, they get a free pass to go anywhere. Um, and, and thus it continues. The trauma continues. And we think, oh, we are, we're doing them a service by protecting them. No, we're not doing them a service. We are, uh, continuing the, we are continuing the trauma of those children on the ground who would never have been in this position if, we had, if the Indian National Congress had not sold us as some poor, godforsaken nation of caste and Dalit. Um, and, and poverty, when we know the poverty was not ours, we were rich until 200 years ago. How, where did the money go all of a sudden? Where did the population come from? Mismanagement by empires, by feudal lords, by zamindars, by big establishments, by the church, by Abrahamic colonizers, uh, and the absolute arrogance, and all of this, now the Hindus are bad. So every time something goes wrong, the Hindus are bad, and they have to convert us. Are they going to change anything? No. They're just going to control the economics and the politics of the ground. All they want is power. Uh, this is besides the pedophilia of the church, which she couldn't say anything about. So um, they had to keep us. The problem on the ground was, uh, first and foremost, uh, the church, who, who used her. The second point was, uh, the second uh, error in this was Mother Teresa and her charity, who needed their money. The third was the government. Um, who absolutely, um, the government who, who sold our soul and, our, and lies and let the lies of, this, of the Vedic nation continue all over the planet uh, and be sold for money and be sold for his, uh, uh, his aura and his legacy. Uh, that was what it was sold for. Uh, and the third was the Christians on the ground who pretended to cover up for their loss of power and their supremacy because we are indoctrinated with supremacy from the time we were born. Um, so the, the, the Indians on the ground, the Indian Christians on the ground are the big part of the blame um, because we, we never challenge anything. We just say, okay, okay, yes, God, Jesus, God, Mother Mary, oh, Mother Teresa, Mother Mary. We put them in the same sentence, Mother Teresa, Mother Mary, we add a mother to everything, and we don't ask any questions. And because we don't ask any questions, it continues. And the church's, church uses our silence to not introspect one single sentence. Oh, no, we are there for salvation to look at, take care of the poor. Yeah, 50 years ago, you were oppressors. And now all of a sudden, you changed, uh, you changed your label and you become angelic and looking after the poor. Who you kept as poor and who your ancestors destroyed um, for the simple reason of money and power. Uh, but they won't talk about that. So the Indian Christian on the ground is is um, is is part is is a huge part of the brain. Indian Christian on the ground also has another blame that we use a lot of violence in our lives to uh, to communicate. So the church, uh, when I was growing up and even today, indoctrinates you with fear 
And so you live in this fear. And not only that, they indoctrinate the women of the time or the women of society to beat their children. So you always told, beat your children because you must bring them in line. They must obey you. They must uh, uh, respect you. They must submit to you. You must get them to obey you as if their, their entire empire, which is the truth, depends on it in the next generation of gullible, broken souls. So we, they tell your, the, the people to abuse so we grew up in life with parents who are dictators. We become next generation of dictators. And on and on the cycle goes. We abuse our children to get them to be the Christians who, who the church wants us and continue the cycle of colonization of our mind. And we use violence in every nook and corner to, to relate our lives and relate our, our, um, and love our children. We don't love our children. We, we really were told, our children are told, you must, you have to obey, you have to, have to, have to obey, and if not, you'll be punished. They say, suffer little children, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. So they tell us that we have to suffer. We have to suffer, because if we don't suffer, then we're going to hell. So suffering is a part, that means one side they're telling the parents, you must beat your children, the other side they're telling the children, you, want, you have to take the beating from your parents, because you have to suffer like God. Now, when that suffering goes on the street, the, the violence continues on the street, the violence in the streets continues in the violence in our homes, uh, on our borders. And they say, well, oh, fascism. But the fascism starts at home when this, these relics of empires abuse us and colonize our minds and, uh, and tell us that we have to undergo violence in order to be part of their colonial empire. And because of that, we are so broken. Um, we produce generation of broken people and, and, and we have all types of ailments. We end up with children who need help and then you have these sisters of charity, but you're causing, you're causing the ailments to have the sisters of charity. Um, and there was a lot of abuse in the missionary charities, which is just come to light. And that is because the, uh, the people who work with the sisters of charity now are modern are Christians of, of the Indian soil. And, and Christians in India use violence against children in order to propagate their religion, which is a fact. So you will have abuse of children and no one's looking after them. No one's, ask, no one's asking about them. No one's helping them. These children are, are, are weak. The, weak. the children are traumatized. The children have been left by their parents. On top of that, they're being abused because the mentality of Christianity in India is not angelic. It's a dictatorship where they abuse you in your homes and it's considered uh, a gift from God. God has to abuse you. God needs you to suffer. And this is what uh, we are indoctrinated um, from the time we are born. And we continue this. And so uh, she wouldn't have thought any different. And she can't, she can't work in every single charity institution. Her, her local people who help her and the local nuns who help who joined her charity are the ones who are doing the work on the ground. And they are indoctrinated by Christianity that tells them that children must suffer and you must beat their children. You will have violence in these charities. So the ideology uses violence and that is the fault of the establishment that is the fault of the indian christians who have to take a big part the blame of what's going on in these missionaries of charity um and the other one is the indian now indian government who cannot touch this issue because it'll be seen as a communal issue and hindus are branded as communal as fascist so that it's a card that it's a it's a it's um it's a line that they cannot cross 
and it becomes a vote, vote bank issue, it becomes a political issue, and so the government will not touch it, and so these children are suffering lock, stock, and barrel, my friend. Suffering because no one can touch it for political reasons, for uh, arrogance, for insolence, and for uh, issues of, uh, of unthinkable proportions, and we all have part of the blame. Unfortunately, it's true. It, it, is, it needs to be said, and I'm going to say it, that we are as guilty as anyone else. Uh, even as an ex-Christian, I will take that. Our silence is what's causing this problem, and we have to talk about it. We have to stop it. Uh, the next time someone comes to you to proselytize, you tell them straight on their face, uh, no, I'm not going to submit to your arrogance and to your insolence um, and to your colonial uh, hangover. Please, uh, you know, take a hike. Um, and, and basically that's it. Uh, the way to go about it is, is education. So, um, look, I will explain it to you one way. In 1949, Ambedkar proposed a draft constitution to put Sanskrit as an official language in the country. It never went through. Nehru never allowed it to go through. You know why? Because Nehru was sleeping with the enemy. Uh, the people who he... He, he, he took God independence with and then uh, pretended that he was the savior of the big bad Hindu uh, who was causing all the problems. Um, and as a result of which, he did not want to resurrect the Indian civilization because he, in his mind, was ashamed of it. He was ashamed of the Indian civilization. He was ashamed of everything that ha happened. Not taking, not, you know introspecting any at any point whatsoever. Uh, they, they blamed all of it on Hinduism when there was no such thing as Hinduism. There is none. There's not one word Hinduism. He blamed it all on Hinduism and, and became a Marxist. And now he's, uh, yeah, of course, Hinduism is bad. Uh, and so he never put, um, he never brought the Gurukul system back. He, he put his, he never brought Sanskrit back. He put his Marxist stamp on everything and, and put us in schools with produce uh, generations of dumb and dumber people, which is true. Uh, dumb and dumber. And, and they gave us Bollywood to keep us locked in in this make-believe world and only to keep us on a plantation where we were weak and they, they tell us that children come from God and here we go, heaven and hell, and we have to believe this ignorance. Uh, so officially, uh, they had Hamdo, Hamarido, but behind the scenes, the priests, the nuns, the mullahs, the tullahs kept us telling us, kept on telling us that producing children, uh, to keep producing children, and we went from 33 million, 333 million, to 1.4 billion in 19 in 2022, a fourfold increase. And so there, you know, so that the more poor you are, the more dependent you are on these religious sales and marketing managers of God, and who put money, who you put money in their pockets. And you have to understand um, now why they did it, because they did it because the more people you have, the more the government loses control of society. When you lose control of society, you lose, um, the society goes into decay. They can just pick up the pieces. And once they pick up the pieces, uh, they can rebrand it to suit their own image and their own agenda. And here we go. We've lost the civilization. So we... We've been so gullible uh, that it has caused the biggest problem. The problem is education has to be put back. So one by one, if every single one of you could take one person, mentor the child, uh, you know, uh, spare some time with the children, uh, be with them, help them in their education, help them in their knowledge, provide the knowledge of our Vedic civilization, one by one by one. If every single one of us does only one, 
we can resurrect this Indian civilization. So the, uh, the knowledge uh, given back to the new generation of our ancient world, of how we came through uh, the real history of the Indian subcontinent, uh, and not that which, which was uh, the last part, which was or everything, uh, and not the ones that we they made us cast and dull it. Um, and and yeah, absolutely. But telling, but by telling them that caste does not come from here, caste is a Christian concept, and dalit is a Hebrew concept. Dalit is not um, dalit is not uh, Vedic, and we've talked about it, and we will do another episode on it. So that is the way to get back uh, the Vedic civilization and to rise above the status quo of this Abrahamic. Uh, um, relics of empires um, through knowledge, through education is the only way we can rise up, which is what we're doing now, we're connecting the dots and we're rising up to a better future uh, and overstepping this um, the, the the arrogance of uh, people of, uh, of, of invaders who've come here to take over our minds and take over our lands um, so we know that they do not want this to happen. They have, uh, for 3,000 years, um, they have wiped out every single indigenous civilization in North America, South America, Africa, Europe, Asia, everywhere Abrahamic countries have wiped out civilizations. Uh, from the Mayas, the Incas, the uh, Native Indians, they've just completely wiped them out and now they've put in their, you know, cock and bull story. But they've spent 3,000 years fighting with each other because they cannot understand that we're cycles, we're, we're side currents and waves, we're not flat earth. Um, but they keep telling you that you're going to heaven and you're going to hell and we are flat earth. Um, and they can't understand that we, are, we, we reincarnate, we're cycles, we rehabilitate all the time, we are, we're working frequencies. Uh, because of that, the 89 um, million refugees on this planet, out of which, uh, out of the 89 million, 90 to 95% are come and go from Abrahamic countries. You know why? So they cannot control their own lands, they cannot control uh, the problems in their countries, they cannot... Um, they cannot rise up, uh, they, they cannot control the wars. There's a war happening all right now in Ukraine and in Europe, and it's overflowing everywhere else. They cannot control that. God cannot help them to stop. But why are they con converting us? Money and power, because we're gullible. Why are we gullible? Because we've lost our knowledge and our education. So you have to go with the education. You have to start helping people one by one by one. Take their hands, mentor them, have that conversation. Give them the confidence back to have a conversation, to do the research, have conversations with them. Help them with food, help them with uh, um, education. One person at a time and we can change this together. Uh, so basically that is the story of, of Mother Teresa. Um, I just wanted to also talk about um, the fact that this is not Jesus, okay, because Jesus never converted anyone, never converted anyone, my friends, not even by mistake. We know that the Middle East was all about tribal lineage. You had to be in the same lineage uh, to be part of the tribe. And so they never converted you. These were all political tribes, political empires that formed uh, alliances that formed to rise up to power. They were not about converting. There was never any conversion. You could not convert in the ancient world because of lineage. It's very, very important. Um, so conversion, and we know that Jesus did not start Christianity. It started with the Roman Empire. 
um, it was a political movement. So you can't convert to a political empire that is dead 500 years ago. So what are they doing? Oh no, they they try to to they want to hold on to power. They're so drunk with power that they don't even recognize each other anymore. They're drunk with power. They don't know how long they've been drunk for. They are so drunk with power. They don't know what they're 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 they've been drunk what what they've been drinking anymore. They just keep repeating their ignorance without going back to introspect at all, understanding the cycles, understanding what we did wrong. Because they're so perfect, they they don't have to change. They're so perfect. Every th- it's only someone else had to change. Someone else has to be, is colonial. They are just perfect, and they're always victims when they don't have when you when they're in the wrong, they're victims. Always victims, and this is typical Christianity, Islam, um, and Judaism, and and that's why we're leaving. We're leaving in mass. There's a mass exodus to leave this ignorance. It is unforsakable. Um, and my dear friends, this is exactly what it is. This one last thing I needed to bring to you about. Um, yeah, um, Mother Teresa. Okay, uh, she was against. Uh, she was against contraceptives. Okay, um, she was against contraceptives and she was against abortion. She she compared abortion to contraceptives. Now, abortion means killing of the children, uh, babies. I understand. I'm for I'm for um, I'm absolutely for life pro life. I'm not pro abortion and accepting circumstances of rape and, and the health of the mother. But I am against I am against um, abortion. Well, I mean it's to each his own, but I I'm not for abortion. So having said that, um, um, you know when you see all this poverty in the world, you see you you're helping. You want poverty. You want to clear poverty. How do you do that by stopping people producing more? And, and and keeping making sure that you have enough resources for your pro, uh, for your people instead of asking them to reproduce and not having the resources to feed them and take care of them and minister the land around them. But no, they've got this ideology that thinks that God is coming from the earth and that's why He's giving you children. And so you cannot take away. You have to keep producing children, uh, which is the reason why we got uh, 1.4 billion. So she was against this. Um, and and I just laughed my way around. Um, <laughs> I just laughed my way around it. Um, and and the church absolutely uses this lock, stock, and barrel. They keep telling us that we came. They came here to save the Christians, uh, but they didn't come here to save anyone. They came here because we were rich. We had gold, and now the gold is gone. And they're trying to con us to tell us that they're here to save lives. And they're here to provide us a salvation. So it's our knowledge, our wealth, but they're providing the salvation. Uh, I, I just, you know, anyway. They know that they're calling us lock, stock, and barrel. So you have to know that their narrative that they came to save us and for salvation is absolutely wrong. They came here for money and power. Uh, if we were not, we didn't have money, you know, they, they wouldn't have come here. And the only reason why India is uh, the Vedic civilization is the only civilization that is not completely gone is because we had knowledge, my friend. And so we have to go back to the knowledge. Uh, so I will leave you at that. On a positive note, um, I wish you all peace. I wish Mother Teresa peace. I have nothing against her. Uh, I'm not for her sisters of charity. I, I apologize. I'm not for her sisters of charity. I think they need to stop uh, the proselytization. I'm, they need to take uh, 
cognizance of what they did, uh, the lies that they have told, uh, the damage that they have done, um, and they need to take cognizance of that. The government needs to take cognizance of it. The, the Indian Christians have to take cognizance of their silence. Um, but I'm, I don't wish anyone any any bad, um, anything negative. I wish her peace. I hope she finds her peace because she went through a rough life and like people of a generation. And I hope that we can all rise up above this. And uh, I hope that you could understand what I just said. If you have any questions, don't hesitate. Uh, to ask me. Uh, we're not talking about violence here, we're talking about having a conversation, we're talking about uh, discussing these points. Uh, look at all the videos on YouTube and see what you can find. Uh, having this conversation, rising up about the status quo and, and, and healing the wounds, uh, reconcile and move on to a better life, learning from the errors and the mistakes of the past and rise up to a better future. Um, Stop the violence in your homes, my friends, and you will stop the violence in your streets. Stop the violence in your streets, and you will stop the violence at your borders. Thank you so much for your time. I wish you all the very best and a lot of peace uh, till we talk again.